Live from Alachua, Florida, I'm Amrita Kaley. And I'm Nam Amrita. Welcome to Nectar Talks from the heart of New Raman Reiti, the largest Hare Krishna community in North America and the home of thousands of bhakti yoga practitioners. In our ongoing interviews, we dig deep into our search for loving connections with Krishna and each other. With you, we hope to uncover the real-life stories and inner journeys of our vibrant community of friends and special guests. Like bees searching for nectar, we seek to extract pearls of wisdom from how they live their lives and the lessons they can impart to us and our listeners. If you're seeking nectar, look no further. All right, let's get started. Hare Krishna, everyone. Welcome. Welcome back to Nectar Talks. We're on episode nine, and we're so excited about tonight's special guest, who I will let my good friend Namamrita introduce in just a moment. But before we do that, I just wanted to say thank you all so much for your participation in the program. Um, this has been, it has been a huge source of nectar for us on the team, and um, a source of connection. And how special is that considering the, the year that we've had, where a lot of us feel very distant from each other physically. Um, we might not see each other as often, even if we live in the same town. But here we are getting to hear some inside stories and some really powerful personal realizations from um, friends who are getting closer to because of this opportunity. So thank you so much, and um, and I'll turn it over to you, Namamrita, after I say Hare Krishna to everyone who's here. Good evening. Hare Krishna. Thank you for that, Amrita Kaley. It's nice to see you. And uh, yes, we are so honored to uh, welcome Vati Prabhu today on our show. She is one of our <laughs> lovely senior devotees here in Alachua, a disciple of Srila Prabhupada who joined in Hawaii and spent uh, 30 years in Gita Nagari. She's been in Alachua now for the last 10 years. She's um, the office manager for the Temple of the Vedic Planetarium currently. She's done numerous services prior to that, I'm sure that we'll learn all about. Um, and um, I have to say, Mother Vegavati, even though I don't know her that well, and I'm really looking forward to hearing about her story today, um, She's always treat, treated me and I'm sure everybody else in this community like family. Uh, she has such a warm, loving attitude and, and a beautiful smile. Anytime we run into her, uh, whether it's on the temple grounds or at the park or wherever. Um, and I just have this gut feeling that she just wants the highest good for all of us. Mm -hmm. And I'm <laughs> so grateful to her for that. So welcome to the show, Vegavati Prabhu. How are you doing today? I'm okay, thanks. Um, I always do better when I can actually see people. When I'm, I, I, you know that in the interim, when I agreed to do it, and before it came to this point, you know, when you're just living in your head, hey, you can be in quite some anxiety. But now that everybody's, you know, there's some friendly faces in front of me, it's it's all good. I'm happy. <laughs> to be. Great. Yeah, we're we're here amongst friends and. Um... I actually want to preface the, the first question I wanted to ask you by the fact that, you know, my realization lately is that even though we have 
been given the basics of the philosophy of Krishna consciousness and the different processes of bhakti, there's no one way to practice Krishna consciousness, it seems. It's such an individual thing for all of us. And um, we each experience the, the journey of the soul through life in our own way, through our own set of circumstances. Um, and it's so interesting to hear from others um, and get good reference points and encouragement and insight through their own experiences. So that being said, I would love to ask you to get started. If you could tell us a little bit about your early journey to Krishna consciousness, what are perhaps some of the events in your life that uh, may have brought you to the, the search for God and self-realization? Thank you. Thanks, Namamita. Yeah, it's definitely a, um, an individual thing. Sometimes I hear devotees telling about their childhood, how ever since age five or something, they were looking for God. Um, I wasn't like that at all. I was, um, I'd have to say, uh, lived in suburbia. <laughs> yeah, there's my childhood self and, and uh, some of and my house growing up and my mother and my young father long before I met him. But um, no, I, I lived in a suburban lifestyle, uh, was all about externals. Uh, I was the only one of four girls who had to have a letter sweater. I, I, uh, in high school, just um, I'd say the most materialistic person in my family. Just uh, that's how I think I probably was. But I was the youngest, and it so happened that um, my mother passed away uh, during my senior year of high school. Hmm. So um, my two oldest sisters were married. My sister next was uh, away in college. So I was the only one home with my father. And he really did fall apart. So um, I didn't really get to grieve. I just had to be strong for him. And I think keeping all my own feelings and emotions inside at a time like that um, mm. probably helped um, uh, uh, come to a point where a couple of years later, after a couple of years in college, and then my father had remarried and it was you know, stepmother can be wonderful and stepmother can be archetypical stepmother. And that's more like what it was. So um, when the early 70s uh, came and uh, late 60s, early 70s in America, the youth counterculture, it was, uh, it was a good time to uh, experiment with things. So what, what, what occurred, heard for me was when I started experimenting, say, with drugs, all, I think all the pent up uh, feelings of loss and, and uh, bewilderment uh, fully fledged themselves. And I ended up um, having an actual nervous breakdown. So uh, one of the things I told Madango Paul, my son, when I first met him, I, uh, for those that don't know, I didn't give birth to him. I uh, met him in preaching um, when he was uh, 21 and and I I learned oh you're 21 oh I turned 21 in the nuthouse <laughs> so it's like <laughs> you, you know it's like then I was really looking that's what I think led me it, it that the form that that breakdown took um, was very deeply spiritual it was centered around Christ that's what I knew 
But interestingly, when I look back, um, that occurred 70, 71. But in 1970, when I was in uh, Ohio State, I remember walking across the campus and singing the song from the musical Hare. <laughs> I was singing it in my mind just over and over and over again. And I actually thought to myself, oh, gee, you've been singing that song for a long time. Why don't you? And I like made myself change to a different song because I didn't understand <laughs> the one I was already singing would have been. Anyway, um, later that same time period, uh, I went uh, with my then boyfriend to see uh, on stage that rock musical, Hair. Uh -huh. So that tune comes uh, in, a, in a part in the play, in the drama. All the actors on stage are singing, but other people are getting up out of the audience and, and going on stage to sing. So I saw them and I thought, yeah, I'm going to do that too. <laughs> I got up and joined them. I, I went on stage and sang Hare Krishna. It was probably 20 or 30 years later that I learned that all those people in the audience were actors planted out there. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, you know, so I think that Krishna saw that there's something here and the poor girl doesn't know what to do. Let me condense like 20 lives experiences into three months so she can realize that this material world is uh, not a happy place. Mm. So that that was, you know, part of the um, story that led me to actually be searching. Then I was much more interested in God and truth and eternal life. I remember at a party, someone asked me, you know, they were talking to me, some young fellow. And I said, but, but what about death? And he just walked away. <laughs> you know, people weren't interested, but I was very keenly interested. So it was a couple of years later and, you know, Bhagavad Gita, Krishna tells there's four kinds of pious men that come to me. And one is those that are distressed. So, uh, he had very kindly arranged things to put me in some extreme distress. And then, um, oh, uh, Madhurya, the, uh, so I, I met this person, his name was Gilbert, and he was selling incense. But when I, yeah, so um, I'd moved already from East Coast to West Coast. I was living in San Jose. And um, somehow or another, yeah, see the incense pack, Spiritual Sky, that's uh -huh. an original. It's from 1972. It says so. <laughs> and uh, beautiful. I bought it from him. I bought it from Gilbert in 72. I kept buying incense from him. And he, um, he was really the first person uh, to explain to me, yes, the life you've been living has been very sinful. But um, if you take to chanting Hare Krishna, all those sins will be washed away. And, and, and I believed him and I chanted with him. He um, took me to his house and there were those colorful posters that are the same pictures from the Krishna book, like Lord Brahma on the swan carrier and uh, uh, Indra bathing uh, the cat, Indra's uh, elephant and the cow bathing Krishna with their milk, all those pastimes. 
colorful posters that he had as the decor in his house. He played a tape of Prabhupada. It was hard for me to understand what Prabhupada was saying. Mm -hmm. But then I heard him say, simple people chanting and dancing and eating nice food. This is spiritual life. Mm. Oh, I was so, so attracted. And actually from that night on, um, I knew that this was my path in life. You know, it's not that there weren't stones <laughs> at right. different times, but that was the, thanks for asking, Namami. Yeah, wow, that's, that's really beautiful how, uh, you know, you kind of had that intense experience with the passing of your mom and, and then uh, it seemed like the right people kind of came along your way to to bring you to that uh, yeah. so what what is the first door that you opened tell us about how you actually joined eventually how did that happen well funny enough the same person gilbert um because uh, i was living in san jose and then he uh he was a friend he would come over and give me Bhagavad Gita, give me Krishna book, teach me how to offer my food and all these things. And um, and then one day he said, well, I'll see you later. I'm going to go to Hawaii. And I'm like, don't leave me here in this situation. It was really hellish. Were, were I, there any other devotees there at that time? Was there a community there? That... No, no, not wow. at all. But Just interesting, Gilbert, Gilbert was uh, of Mexican heritage. His hair came down to his waist. And... Um, and uh, I'll just jump ahead because when I was when I first moved to Alachua, I was working at Krishna.com uh -huh. and I was the office manager there. So I didn't like directly do sales, but sometimes I would look at the at the books. And so one day I happened to see there was an order from this person, Gilbert, in the same <laughs> last name. Oh, and really? there was no yeah, there was no email. And I, I don't know that there was a phone number, but there was an address. And so, um, not right away, but after a month or so, I wrote a letter and said, I don't know if you're the same person, but if you were in San Jose in 1972, if you remember a person named Helen, uh -huh. you know, and uh, if, if it is you, I just want to thank you very, very much. Well, he wrote me back. And he had become my godbrother. He was Prabhupada's disciple. Later wow. on, he had gotten educated. And he told me that, he, and I, rem, I remembered vaguely, but he told me more detail that um, he was at the airport in 1967 when Prabhupada first came to San Francisco. Hmm. He was with all those people <laughs> waiting. Wow. And he himself, just the way he did me, living his life, not moving into a temple, but selling incense and telling people about Krishna. He had brought many people hmm. who then moved in and became you know, devotees, as we yeah. say. And yeah. one of them was um, Tripurari Swami, later became Tripurari Swami. Really? Wow. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's wonderful. Is he, uh, yeah, so, are, are you so still in touch with him now? Do you know where he is now, Gilbert? No. no. no we, we had a, we had a, um, after he wrote to me, I called him and we had one nice long talk and that, yeah. that was enough. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's great. What a, what a cool story of him. <laughs> You reconnected eventually through uh, his order. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, who would think? Yeah, you right. never know. Okay, so, anyway, so, so left, Hawaii. Uh, yeah, so he when he went to Hawaii, I also went. So here we are, two young friends. Um, 
hitchhiking around the big island. At that time on the big island, there was only a brahmachari farm. So uh, we had, you know, there were some friends that let us stay. It was very much, um, oh, thanks, Acharya, you found that quote. Um, yeah, basically we hitchhiked around for a couple of weeks, but, or, or I don't know how long it was, but it was at least a couple of weeks. And when the brahmacharis had Harinam on one side of the island, we'd go to that. And uh, they'd have a feast on the other side, we'd go to that. But mm -hmm. I could see after some time that I wanted to be more serious. You know, Gilbert would like give me instructions and I would try to follow. But when the brahmacharis who were clearly more fixed up than he was would try to instruct him he didn't hmm. like it so I just thought okay I I want to be more serious and um and so those brahmacharis on the on the farm asked who then was the um I guess the temple president for the islands of Hawaii was Gore Sundar who's now part of the Alachua greater community uh -huh. and uh so he 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 made the arrangement I didn't meet him but he said, yes, she, if you think she's sincere and serious, she can go to Kauai, where there's a, a temple for ladies. Mm. So when I very first moved in, it was just a ladies ashram out in the country. It was mm. uh, called the Hidden Temple. It was quite magical, actually. And uh, it was called the Hidden was, Temple. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, Ko'olau. Mysterious, and so, I like on, it. <laughs> yeah, and on that island, there were brahmacharis, but they lived in the town. So on Sundays, everybody would come out to the to the farm where I lived and and have a big feast and guitar kirtans for hours and mm -hmm. yeah, it was a nice beginning. How long were you on this farm? Um, yeah, that's a funny story because um, mm -hmm. the the temple itself was Iskan when I moved in, but it most of the people there were. Uh, followers of Siddha Sarup. So about six months or maybe no more like nine months later, he um, decided he didn't want to be in ISKCON anymore. So I stayed in the same place and I did kept doing the same service, which by that time was tending a big vegetable garden. Mm. And we had a little, for, for, for the altar, there was a picture of Lord Chaitanya. Um, yeah, so uh, we weren't in ISKCON anymore. So I stayed there, still, you know, chanting, following the principles, everything the same, but it wasn't ISKCON. So I was there for a couple of years and then um, had different adventures. Uh, at that time, I think Siddhasarup's idea was um, decentralization. Because he, yeah. So um, he... Um, he, it felt like he was looking right at me one time. Why does some of you go and live at Valley House? Why don't you go and live? Valley House was this 81 acre property that was uh, owned by someone in New York, but he let hippies live there. So I went and lived there and I, I remember putting on a Sunday feast by myself there. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was just adventures. I went and yeah. lived in the woods for a while at the, the place <laughs> wow. we had to hike eight miles to get to. But um, yeah, I didn't stay there long, but yeah, quite some adventures. And then uh, not to dwell too much because it was a long time ago. It was just how I started. 
Right. But then I came to um, the Los Angeles temple, must have been in sometimes maybe late 75, um, because I, uh, I was engaged first helping Rukmini with seamstress things. I got to go to Rukmini's apartment every day and help her sew. And I'm not, you know, I could have cared less about the sewing, but I loved hearing Rukmini's stories about Srila Prabhupada. Uh-huh. <laughs> and um, yeah, so, so that was a fortunate thing. And so I got initiated there in LA. Oh. Yeah, so this is Hawaii, Prabhupada's throwing flowers. Okay. That, and I'm just holding, I don't know whose baby that is, but they let me hold her. <laughs> That's a wonderful <laughs> photograph. That's beautiful. So tell us about the first time you met Srila Prabhupada. That was in Hawaii? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The first several times, most of the times that I saw him was in Hawaii. I will tell you about the very first time because yes, please. Um, I, I remember um, watching him walk into the temple room and the Vyasa sons in the back of the room and the Panchatattva deities are in the front mm -hmm. and the doors on the side. So he came in the door, walked up to see the Panchatattva and pay his respects and then walked back to the Vyasa son. And the whole time I was watching him, I was thinking, he's not in time. Somehow I, I, I got the sensation that he, unlike the rest of us, He's not stuck in time. Hmm. You know, some people say they, they, it appeared that he was floating. Yeah. To me, it had to do with time. And then, and then he went and sat on the Vyasa sun. And the very first thing he did when he sat down was he looked at his watch. And that just, uh. <laughs> that just it was just so great. It was like transcendental comedy. That's really special. I, I, I really like that. Um experience of uh not stuck in time yeah it, it brings uh a, an interesting uh perspective on a pure devotee <laughs> right right yeah it's funny enough just this morning i was reading i'm reading in third canto lord kapila's teachings to his mother mm -hmm. and uh the verses i was reading was about how even lord brahma and lord shiva at the end of brahma's lifetime they have to go into the body of Mahavishnu and then come back at the next cosmic manifestation. But those that are pure devotees go beyond to the spiritual world where time has no influence. Hmm. So Prabhupada's actually a resident from that world. Right, right. How was the, uh, your initiation process was that in person with Srila Prabhupada or was it through a letter um, um well that's yeah that was in LA Prabhupada had come that was his last visit to LA in 1976 in June mm -hmm. um Prananda also got initiated with me mm. and uh, those who have spent time in Vrindavan Vidya and Bhakti Siddhanta I think they got second that day it was a big ceremony Prabhupada had been there for a week lecturing and uh, was expected to do the initiation, uh -huh. but it was scheduled for a Saturday, uh, Saturday morning. And apparently early in the morning, one of his servants told him, Srila Prabhupada, there's Rathiatra in Chicago today. If you go now, you can be <laughs> at the Rathiatra. Oh, Krishna. <laughs> and so we had, um, 
Hridayananda Maharaj performed the sacrifice, you know, the sacrifice, and, and uh, wow. he acted as as a, as the Ritvik for Srila Prabhupada at that right. Uh, right, ceremony. Right. Yeah. Wow, that's a nice story too. Um, so, so you went from Hawaii to LA, and how how long were you there altogether? Ah, uh, you know, um, I hate to say it, but it's a little bit vague. Well, I yeah. no, I know that I left LA um, t- uh, probably in the summer of '77. We already had gotten a letter about. Uh, um, these people will be guiding. And because I'd had like probably at least three years influenced by the Siddhisarup anti-ISKCON propaganda, uh, I thought, I don't want to be here. There's going to be fighting. I'm just going to go. I went back to Hawaii. But I want to tell you that my service in LA, although I started off sewing with Rukmini, it wasn't long before they realized that I was outgoing and might be able to do um, book distribution. So um, yeah, I did, I started, yeah, uh, did different kind. I remember doing book distribution in the airport with some of the big distributors. My first service was to follow Jadarani around and give her massage. She, oh, wow. She had, yeah. <laughs> and, and that, While that she was distributing it, books? She was distributing wow. books, but she, she would she had a bad back which turned out i think to be kidney problems but she would get fatigued and so we'd go into you know the ladies room or something and i'd give her a massage mm. and then um back rub or something and then then i got to do that for all the ladies book distributors and then at some point they gave me a book bag and i was i was there so airport book distribution um traveling sankirtan uh the weird thing is, you know, the things we've been through, I, I was wondering, what am I going to talk about? Because it's only an hour and and probably 48 years of different activities, you know, yeah, the, right. and, but um, but I mean, funny enough, my when I was under temple authorities, most of my service was like collecting money, selling books, but I I can remember actually when I was part of the LA Temple, I remember working a football game in Miami. Uh-huh. I mean, like, you know, why? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, was, it was a little bit nuts. The whole movement was very, very much in the mode of passion. Mm-hmm. But when I think about it, I think was Srila Prabhupada looked at what he had to work with. Yeah. You know, he had tried in India, give me your son. No, no, he wants to become a doctor and engineer. But, you know, he came to America and there were all these people that were like fried with the opulence, mm. you know, and uh, the superficiality yeah. and were willing to do whatever. And, but very much we had a lot of passion. So send them out and mm. do whatever your managers tell you. He yeah. had a lot going on, you know, but yeah. but uh, the managers were also in the mode of passion. So go here, go there. There was a lot of that. Yeah. So you're right. We we only do have an hour, and uh, <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna try to accelerate through a, a few points. One one is you mentioned your son Madan Gopal. I would love to hear about that story, and also 
you did spend 30 years in Gita Nagari. So right. um, maybe you could uh, maybe give yeah, us a little bit of a summary of, of what you got out of those 30 years. Um, and then tell us about the, this. Uh, it sounds like something kind of special because you oh, said he's totally. not your son, but you're calling him your son. Right. And I know he's a very cool devotee. So I want to hear all about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, uh, so when I, uh, when I moved, I, I, yeah, I, I had been in Hawaii. Then I came to the Baltimore temple first. And, um, that was like towards the end of 79. Mm -hmm. So I'd been practicing Krishna consciousness already for like six, seven, six or seven years. And, um, and that's where, okay. So, um, Baltimore Temple at that time had a very powerful collecting party. Mother Swarga was in, in charge of the ladies, and there was also a men's group. We did some traveling around, around. But then um, most of the party, yeah, anyway, at some point, I think it was 82, I was donated to Gita Nagari to be part of their um, traveling Sankirtan party. So um, you must have been like one of the top cards to get donated to Gita Nagari. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know I've heard that a lot that devotees would kind of get traded around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it, it was, yeah, that's just how it was. Uh, yeah. But um, anyway, so then when I was at Gita Nagari, and first I, you could say I moved to Gita Nagari, but when I, what I did was I joined the party that was out on the road traveling. Uh -huh. And we were selling paintings, I think. In Baltimore, we were selling those carved candles. Uh, um, but at, at Gitanagari, we were selling paintings. And this, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, there's me and Swarga sitting at a picnic table. Uh -huh. uh, uh, this is traveling Sankirtan. By that time, they had a big motorhome yeah. uh, for the ladies to use. It had special shelves for the paintings and different vans that went out. Um, to, so we would go from city to city and go to different neighborhoods. But the thing is, I at least um, I was enlivened to do it. At Gita Nagari, mm. the, at that time, uh, they had all these working oxen that would work the fields. Um, there was a school, a two-room schoolhouse that, um, you know, the older kids would be in with the younger kids. So I, people learned at their own Rate, I, I think the school itself won awards. The cows definitely won prizes for their milk at the state farm. Um, there were about a hundred devotees, I think. And even though um, at that time it was the zonal system and Satsrut Maharaj was there and um, there were a good number of his disciples, there were more Prabhupada disciples there than his disciples. So. Um, it might have been a little microcosm of how Alachua is now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but um, yeah, so at Gita Nagari, I, I didn't mind uh, for some time going out to bring money in. Yeah. But um, at some point, I think maybe 86 or thereabouts, a little after, it was the phenomenon I noticed all over the world that devotees that um, had been doing that collecting were no longer enlivened to do it. Mm. Yeah. So um, 
Yeah, so such, uh, such an austere activity. I know my, my mother has shared with me, yeah, just to be out there at, you know, stoplights and <laughs> that's, I can't imagine. I can't right. even imagine what it's mm -hmm. like to, to do that work. Right. Yeah. Well, we were selling something by then, but still mm -hmm. it was all undercover and you didn't really preach per se. So, right. so um, it's funny because we felt like the farm was so exemplary, but we were just look, looking back the other day about all the kids that went to school there. Most of them did not stay in Krishna consciousness mm -hmm. as active people. Maybe that's, they consider, oh, Krishna's my God. You know, and so I, I think that, um, you know, this, it, it's a young movement, it was very much pioneer stage. And um, that was, I think, in many ways, the 80s were the era of errors. Right. And uh, I think for, I see kids growing up in Alachua where most people have some kind of business or job. It's, I mean, we were collecting to support a whole community, but the people that were living there weren't doing anything to earn money. So for a kid growing up, it's like, what kind of future do you see mm. for yourself? Yeah. It's right. like, uh, anyway, so that at some point, uh, Swargo, my, my, had been my Sankirtan partner, and then the temple had given us a place to live when we came back. And then you they know, said, well, we want to sell all these outside properties. So we just bought the place where we were living. Mm -hmm. Nanda was living with us at the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so we, then we were there and, you know, the 80s was one where Swarg and I had a place uh, a couple, couple mile drive from the farm. And mm -hmm. when it stopped being temple property and started being our house, Nanda was living with us. I'm just mentioning that. Yes. Yeah. We He's an old dear, dear friend, right? Exactly. Yeah. So I'm just the eight. Oh, so then what I was saying was when the money basically fell out from under the bottom, all the householders with children, especially, had to move away and get jobs. Right. So what was left of Gita Nagari were, I think, about 13 deities, about eight to 10 devotees on the property, and whoever happened to live outside, and about 200 um, cows and oxen. Wow. So the next the next 10 years were quite austere on the farm. Hmm. <laughs> and uh, yeah, wonderful festivals. Um, th th that that for some short period of time, some few months, I got to dress them and, hmm. and uh, those pictures. And uh, but yeah, the, the wonderful, wonderful Gitanagri has its own simplicity. And those were, they would have country style Rathiatra and people would come from all the surrounding mm. temples, mm. the city, Washington, Baltimore, like that. So festival time was great. But during that 10 year mm. dry period, uh, there would, I think the main attraction would be like twice a year, maybe Memorial Day and Labor Day weekends, Romapad Swami would um, have retreats. So then you'd get an influx of 80 people and all these wonderful lectures. And, yeah. And, um, I've been to a few uh, retreats in Gita Nagari, maybe some 10 years ago or so. And okay. I, yeah, that's I, different. I, I now yeah, I'm sure it's very different, but that, that's the little bit of exposure I got to uh, at least the, the grounds. And uh, it really oh, yeah, it feels like yeah. a very special place for sure. Right. 
Right. So you see now in this picture, now then Bhakti Tirtamaraj came. Of course, Bhakti Tirtaswami. He came, and so after the 10 years of only like mostly dry time, uh -huh. but there was a sweetness, but, but, but um, then all of a sudden there were all these wonderful devotees, and especially once a year, there'd be um, a festival with marriages and baby namings and initiations and so many things. And so Rathiatra, I mean, the festivals were fantastic when he was there. We got to meet so many wonderful devotees, Krishna Nandini, there's Kartamisha in the picture, um, so many. And he brought people to the farm to, you know, to help. So this kind of, of be this became his base at the time. Yes, yes. And how, yes, often, was till he how often would he would he be there during during those years? Oh, he, he, well, he traveled a lot, of course, but he'd come back periodically. And, and uh -huh. again, it felt like it was his home right, when right. he was there. Such a dynamic preacher. So that was another era. Yeah. But, um, oh, I'm sorry. You, you uh, had initially asked me about Madame Gopal and I, 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 no, well, well, I didn't well, exactly. No, no. I, I was just letting you finish the Gita Nagari part. And <laughs> we can definitely, definitely want to hear about it. <laughs> well, he's too. part of it because. Okay. Yeah, so so Barbara and I had you know been traveling some kirtan partners, and we you know we share a lot in common sense of humor and and uh, love of nature, and and uh, like to preach. We worked well together. So after we yeah, um, it was actually her idea. We used to do. This is, too much to tell in too little time. But at some point, she went, She had this strong drive to develop some outreach program in Penn State University. State College was about an hour away. And so um, she got it started and we were doing it together. And, uh, and then that's where we met Madan Gopal. He was a grad student there. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, we'd met him at the programs and we had both a Bhagavad Gita reading group or study group and also a vegetarian cooking class. We were able to use the facilities at Penn State University for the first couple of years. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he was already chanting. He, he grew up in Nairobi, but he used to, uh, I think all his cousins used to watch British cartoons and he watched American cartoons. So there was something American underneath. So um, anyway, he invited us to, to have the Bhagavad Gita discussion group in his apartment. So we shifted it to there when uh -huh. the university uh, wasn't available anymore. And uh, after a few months knowing him, um, he told me since we first spoke, uh, he felt very strongly that I was his spiritual mother and what I would accept oh. him as my son. So oh, that, sure. yeah, totally worked out because, you know, I... Uh, uh, I'd always wanted children, but I wasn't married. So what are you going to do? Um, and, uh, and Krishna sent me a son. And it was the first time he had lived apart from family members in his whole life. So, And they weren't supportive of his Krishna consciousness. So for him, he got, you know, a spiritual mother. Hmm. And I got a spiritual son. Wow. And uh, that relationship has, you know, gone on. I, uh, I now have a grandson who's just started college <laughs> during COVID. Oh, wow. <laughs> and Manasi's there getting 
created by Satyanand, his wife. So yeah. That's and so beautiful. We, that's, I had never heard of that before. Mm -hmm. um, to to officially ask someone, will you be my my spiritual mother? And to you accept for you to accept him as your spiritual son. Is that something that Madan Gopal Prabhu, feel free to, to unmute yourself. Did, had you heard of that being done somewhere before? Where did that come from that you, you felt inclined to actually ask in such a way, will, will you become my spiritual mother? Uh, no, it wasn't uh, so much that, you know, I mean, I, I, I just came right out and told her that I feel that we have this connection. I feel that, uh, you know, uh, I get so much nourishment from you in the spiritual aspect. And, and I felt a, a resonance, you know, like, you know how sometimes Krishna directs the wanderings and, and we meet special souls. And there's certainly something very uh, amazing that happens when we meet the person where we have a great spiritual resonance. And I felt that I can tell her everything that's on my mind. And she is yeah. also very transparent and open and loving and welcoming. Right. So I figured you know, I can express to her. Uh, actually, Masi Ganga is here too. She's joined us and... Uh, She's probably curious to find out what's going on <laughs> um, about my mother-in-law. But uh, no, so then, I, you know, I, I, I was going through some stuff myself in college. Mm. You know, uh, I had this car. I was driving. I was like, I have a nice car. And I park it in my apartment. And then one day I come down and some hooligans had vandalized the car and they'd written some very racist things on it, the KKK sign, and scratched all over it and say, go back wow. So it was, I was going through some uh, stuff myself because you know, away from my home, away from my family, right. alone. I didn't have a roommate or anything either. And uh -huh. so I was, I was telling her, hey, you know, I'm, I'm going through some stuff. It's, it's kind of scary being in the middle of uh, Pennsylvania like this. And, and, mm, wow. But, uh, and, and because I felt so much a sense of protection and care and don't worry, you know, everything will be fine. And, you know, there's so much depth coming from there. So it was, it was a natural... Um, approaching that you know I've, i i think this is something that that i want to tell you that i feel like you're my mother and i feel very protected on the you know social family kind of atmosphere but also on a very spiritual level right and, and since that point we you know we've been in touch very much uh i mean you know we used to talk on the phone all the time her and mother Swarga both you know and mother kalini all three of them actually hmm. you know, and because all three of them were were coming to our, my apartment state college but they did the marriage also came a couple of times and so it's like a whole family but wow. uh, yeah mm -hmm. so uh, anyway, that's how it started and a lot of adventures since then too <laughs> right well thank you so much for exemplifying very practically that it, we really are a spiritual family mm -hmm. and i actually feel with so many devotees uh sometimes yes this parental ras <laughs> you know mm. like i actually mentioned about you mother vegavati in the beginning you know you're so loving and even though i don't know you so well i feel like prabhu this 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 motherly affection that you you give off and so madan gopal prabhu thanks for uh yeah just making it okay for us to you know openly feel that way and to share you know our loving feelings for one another as as a devotional family that's beautiful mm. I actually suspect that it's not as uncommon. It's just that probably people, ladies, especially who do a lot of outreach, probably have many people that feel like they're um, the mother. But because right. I, my outreach is quite limited, and 
I just got, you know, one powerful son. I'm like, okay, this is enough. That's what I can handle, you know. But um, I think the feelings back and forth are, are quite natural. Right. That way. Right. This, it, it, it is, it, to me, it seems like this is a key to staying strong and, and deepening our Krishna consciousness are these real relationships where we can feel sheltered by somebody who is a mother figure or a father figure or a son or a daughter figure to us. And we could give that, that um, love and reciprocation to each other. Um, it seems to be sort of a missing link. I feel like if we become um, um, under-inspired that we, we need those relationships, those loving exchanges. It's so beautiful to be here with both of you tonight and to see that. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so i want to mention also um oh go ahead no go ahead please well you know i i, I had mentioned that swarga and i had lived together for many years and um so we went through also many different things together that um like traveling in Vrindavan and, but like having one person that you actually live with, um, that's not a, you know, like a romantic relationship, you still have to go through all the kinds of purification that, no, I want to do it this way. Oh, no, I want to do it that, that way. It's like what people go through in a marriage. Uh, right. friends that knew us said, I think you've gone through all the purification, you know, but I, I learned, or I'm still learning, definitely don't have it down, but I can, I think the, um, the allowing vulnerability to come in one relationship, then allows me much more easily to trust in all relationships. I have, you know, so mm -hmm. many, lady friends that have um, given me strength and shelter over the years. And uh, yeah, I think having one close friend helps that also to, to occur. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, if, if we can find that partner in Krishna consciousness, whether it, it is a husband and wife situation or um, a devotee that you serve with, and to be able to go through those those phases of what a relationship takes to maintain, but we have the Krishna in the center factor to help us through it. Um, that that seems like an important part of one's spiritual journey. Yeah, it's yeah. interesting that you mentioned um, Mother Swarga and that you both spent so much time together. It, it reminds me of there's other dynamic duos of uh, lady devotees. I'm thinking of Jamuna Devi and uh, Mother Dina Tarani. And oh, sure. So it's, it seems uh, like it's a, a good practice <laughs> to have a partner. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 It helps. It definitely yeah. helps. And right. yeah. Are there any uh, like an, a particular adventure the two of you had uh, throughout the years uh, that you could share, you know, in, in your service or any, any particular stories that come to mind? Swarga, you're there. 
Is there something you want to? I can tell about it if you if you uh. <laughs> oh, we were we we did rainbow gatherings. Oh, mm -hmm. Acharya says, tell about some of your times in Vrindavan. Oh yeah, and that's the thing. I I maybe I'm yeah. Swarga got in the nineties. She got to be going pretty much six months out of every year. She would go and spend time in Vrindavan, mm -hmm. and um, I went once for six months. But I also went once for three months, once for two months. So, you know, we had, um, we both had, there's Manasi, that was right after they got married. Madangapal's wife is there uh, with me. Uh, right after they got married, they came to Vrindavan mm -hmm. and I met them there. So uh, Jagatarini took us around Radhakund. Uh, we went around Govardhan and uh, also around Vrindavan. And so uh, instead of a honeymoon, they took a pilgrimage and I got to also be there for that. So yeah, Vrindavan was wonderful. Uh, you know, when we just lost Bhuvaneshwar Prabhu, you know, the other day, Iandra's passing came as a shock. You think these people will always be there. They're mm -hmm. like part of the scenery at Vrindavan. But of course, none of us are here um, forever. We're all gonna leave, but um, the place, all the classes we heard, all the parikramas. Um, we, uh, Swarga worked in the VIHE office. I got to proofread a book for Bori John while I was there and uh, you know, still have uh, long-term friendships with Rajabihari and Ananda Vrindavan. Like that, you know, these, these uh, Vrindavan experiences go so deep. Right. So, so could you tell us a little bit about um, what brought you to Alachua um, eventually and uh, what the last 10 years of your life have been? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, what brought me, it's hard to say exactly, but I'd been feeling for quite some time that, um, that it was time to move from Gitanagari. Uh -huh. And uh, Swarga kept saying, why, why not Alachua? That's like the natural thing. And I would, no, it's too big. There's too many groups of people and I'll be left out. And that does happen. Sometimes it's inevitable. Right. But um, I, I was thinking Potomac, talk to Rukmini and Anutama. It almost worked, but um, it, it didn't work. But uh, I got to attend a communications conference in Belgium that was quite wonderful. But coming to Alachua was great. I. I I drove down, I said, I'm gonna find a job and I'm gonna find a place to live. And within a week, I had been offered a job at krishna.com and Rasalila invited me to share the house she was living in, in uh, Gainesville. Mm -hmm. And then uh, uh, the, mostly I've been able to work with devotees, for devotees and since I've been here and I'm very, very, very grateful for that. And uh, yeah. Um, it's funny because I was thinking so many of my old Gitanagari friends are down here now. Uh -huh. And uh, people- That's a good reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, actually, even the people I go to the Springs with, it was, you know, a couple of old Gitanagari friends that had that happening already. Right. Going, down, going down the river every Sunday morning. Uh, I wanted to ask you about this, actually, because 
it seems it, I've seen your posts about spending time on the river through the years. And I also love nature and I find so much um, nourishment from it. It seems almost like a spiritual practice for you. Is that the case? Uh, um, well, that's an interesting concept. Um, <laughs> well, well, call it a sub-religious principle. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. You know, it, it's uh, it's not exactly hearing and chanting, but it's definitely remembering Krishna. You know, and it and to be I mean, when you think how healthy it is to drink spring water. Yes. You know, just um, to immerse yourself in the springs. Yes. Or in the in the uh, a river that's spring fed. Um, that's pretty pretty wonderful i just think it's super healthy and Prabhupada said first health yes. then sadhana, then preaching so uh you know health is important it's i it's about the only exercise i get but it also is very rejuvenating i uh i was feeling nervous today so sparka goes let's go to the springs <laughs> exactly we're sorry we made you nervous <laughs> everybody that does I could have used a trip to the springs with you. <laughs> Too far away. Oh, that's what I was remembering, though. When Swarga moved down here, it was about five years ago. And right when she first came, uh, I happened to notice that you, Amrita Kelly, had posted, oh, we're having Kirtan sunset on Jacksonville Beach. Mm -hmm. And you said it's starting at six. And I think she and I, I saw the post at about four. And I told her about it. She said, do you want to go? And this is where she's like super spontaneous. And, and I'll go, yeah. So we drove. <laughs> we joined your sunset kirtan. And if I'm not mistaken, that was maybe the first time Leela Kishore had come to the I was just thinking that those were the magical days before um, when I had just met my husband, my future husband. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it was the very day, in fact. So that, yeah, we, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so if if going down the river is a sub-religious mm. principle, <laughs> would, would you tell us a little bit about your what what is your daily practice? Mm. You know, I, I know you mentioned when we uh, connected a little bit yes you, you mentioned you have a, a, a book holder on your kitchen table tell us a little bit about all that yeah I, I a friend uh, gave gave me that as a hostess gift one day when she came for lunch and I've been using it ever since I I um I have low blood sugar so um a friend once commented you just you make little offerings all day long but I, I you know I often eat alone um, because Swarga doesn't get hungry as often. So whenever I eat alone, I, I put a book in the book stand and I read. Or when I'm at work and I take my lunch, I'm on computer on the database. And um, I just find reading Prabhupada's books is so, um, it's so nourishing and so needed and so helpful mm -hmm. and so inspiring. Um, a, a lot of... I know some people want to read so many pages a day and that's fine for them. Sometimes for me, I'll just read the same purport again and go, oh my God, those two sentences there together, they're just like so deep. And, and if I'm, you know, I'm reading a book, but I'm like, oh, oh, I wish I, you know, when I'm on my computer that I can cut and paste it and share it on, on Facebook. Cause 
Prabhupada just says so many amazing and wonderful things. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, so reading Prabhupada's books is a big part of your, your daily sadhana. Well, it's, 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 a, it's a daily part of my sadhana. You know, if you say big, time-wise, it probably isn't all that much. Mm-hmm. But, I, you know, I try to hear the Bhagavatam class every day, mm-hmm. mostly remotely nowadays. But, um, and of course, with this pandemic, there's so many wonderful opportunities on Zoom. I've heard mm-hmm. so many wonderful speakers. But, but um, yeah, I have two different, you know, reading groups I'm part of in the mm-hmm. evenings. And uh, I just find it's a nice way to connect. Uh, yeah, with, I mean, who would be here in this movement if we didn't have Srila Prabhupada's books? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for uh, highlighting that. I, my, for myself, I, I, I come from a family of readers, but I'm not a reader myself. And, um, but I, I do manage to connect every now and then. Um, but it's just helpful for me to hear over and over from senior devotees how much just reading the Bhagavatam, reading Prabhupada's books is uh, what sustains them. And uh, mm-hmm. for me, it's, it's very much a practice. I, I don't do it naturally. Uh-huh. Um, it's, it's something I have to really make myself do it. Um, well, you know, Namamrita, there are people that read out loud and you can subscribe to it or, or you find, you know, and listen because yeah. you have such a busy life and even, you know, but you yeah. might be able to make that fit better. Right. to hear audio books people reading even the purports mm-hmm. they read mm-hmm. yeah that's i also true. i also feel really encouraged by um quality over quantity because like you mentioned about you know a certain number of pages in a day i've always seen that sort of as like a marker of success like oh i read i read a whole chapter today or whatever but um hearing this i feel like if i can marinate in one verse and one purport and maybe even read it four or five times that I could get something out of it and be present in the moment in Srila Prabhupada's words right there in a way that is um, inspiring and also like not so much in the mode of passion for me, you know, to try and just blast through because I feel like I have catching up to do all the time. I really love that. Right. Oh, good. Because so you- didn't, didn't um, Shilab- and then- if, if you can go ahead Prabhu if you can you know digest one verse or one purport yes. or a couple sentences to then you have something you can share mm. because it's it's you know guess what I read today and it's natural because you it's not like oh I'm supposed to tell somebody what I read today it's because you let yourself absorb it mm. You know, um, I've shared many things that you've posted and um, found them to be super helpful for me also. I, I was just taking a peek at your Facebook page and uh, again, <laughs> and it looks like you reposted something that you had shared a couple years ago and you said, it's still valid, thank God. Is it okay if I read it really quick? Okay. Sure, of course. It's a quote. It says, a sober person, a devotee of the Lord, accepts only a person's glories and not his or her faults. 
for flies seek sores, whereas honeybees seek honey. It is a qualification of a devotee that he or she never sees others' faults. And this was someone else's post that, that you had liked. Um, and I feel like it's so appropriate, not only for our mission with, the, with, with this podcast, but also as you as a person, like, like Namamrita was saying, as far as the, the details of our personal lives, we haven't shared so much, but we have this very strong feeling from you that you really do see and magnify the good qualities in other people. And it seems like that's a very, very important point that you want to, um, like a, an important mood that you want to sort of imbibe and also encourage in our movement. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. Well, I think you you said it. I mean, it's, I want to imbibe it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> people who live with me and know that I have a low blood sugar, um, I can tell you that too often I've used the excuse for my sharp tongued comments by saying, oh, I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I just, I know I've hurt many, many people over the years by saying things when I wasn't in the right mood. And then I read something or see a post about how, you know, once those words are out, you can never bring them back. There's nothing you can do. And so um, I try to eat when I'm hungry now, instead of saying mean things to people. <laughs> and I've gained some weight, but hey, I have uh, <laughs> long lasting friendships. What can I say? <laughs> I, you know. <laughs> it's beautiful but, um, that is one of your more endearing qualities i just want to make a point here that you know your radical sense of transparency and honesty even mm. in so forum and that is something that anybody can perceive right away and yes. that's what i want to be at that level of honesty transparency and that's genuine humility and that's why it resonates so much and i remember if you recall i told you years ago there's nothing you can possibly do that can make me stop loving you. And I meant it. It's because, uh, and I felt that, mm. you know, you, you come from a place of that place of sincere purity that you want to make spiritual advancement. I said, and I told myself, I want to be like my mother and I want to be like her. And even, you know, sometimes it said familiarity breeds contempt, but the more I've gotten to know you, Ma, the more respect and love I've developed. And that's because of this, you know, it's progressive Krishna consciousness. You know, purification, keep moving forward, smile through the difficulties. And that is what I've learned from you. And I hope to continue learning more. Well, that's just really sweet of you. And of course, I remember you saying that because it went deep in my heart. Um, um, I, I want to mention that I had not taken second initiation when I came to the Baltimore and Gita Nagri area. So I took second initiation from Satsurup Maharaj and I read many, many of his books. And some of them have you know, imprinted themselves in my mind and heart. And, and at one place in one of the poetry books, he had this little set, it just said so many words. The essence is, please let me love you. Please let me serve you. And I pray that prayer to Krishna sometimes, just please let me love you. Please mm -hmm. let me serve you, you know? I don't have 
qualifications. I'm not at the temple every morning at Mangalarti. There's so many people that are, you know, really good with their sadhana. I struggle, but I just keep trying. And I'm very, very grateful for all the wonderful devotees and the mm -hmm. Dham and the holy name and, you know, all the things that we've been given. Well, thank you so much. I, I think this is a, a good place to, to come to a conclusion. Um, I just want to kind of reiterate what I've taken away from this, this discussion. Um, first of all, how you came to Krishna consciousness and how the kind of the milestones of your, um, your earlier years were springboards for mm -hmm. you to kind of come to the journey with the passing of your mom and, um, and kind of the people that came into your life and um, how you met Srila Prabhupada. Thank you for sharing those, those stories about your initiation and, uh, and your service throughout the years and the austerity that the mm -hmm. service was in the eighties. I mean, you know, I, I agree, you know, you call it that those were the, the, the years of error, but for me, they're also the years that ex for me exemplify the dedication of of all of you, you know, the first generation devotees that you were willing to to be out on the streets and just go through so much austerity for for serving Prabhupada. I find that just it's so inspiring, and I'm always in awe when I hear those stories. Um, and I'm thinking about um, when we talked prior to the to this uh, this interview with you, you you were saying, you know, I don't know what I'm going to be able to to share. You, referencing some of the devotees that we've interviewed prior um but it's it's all come out so clearly especially with your son here present that uh, it's just your your loving heart and uh just you exemplify so many of the qualities that devotees are are seeking to get just getting to that place of love and kindness and mm. seeing the good in people um and just thank you for your honesty about, um, you know, you say you're still struggling with your sadhana. God, that helps me so much to hear yeah. a senior devotee say that, <laughs> you know, that it's, it's always oh. going to be a struggle. And that's just, it's the dedication and the desire to keep going. That's, that's what's important. So thank you for saying that as well. Oh, uh, my pleasure. <laughs> or something. <laughs> And are there any uh, any final um, thoughts that you would like to to share with with our, our listeners? No, I'm just I'm I'm um, <laughs> I'm very grateful that you are doing this because I um, Amita Kelly mentioned to me in the very short conversation we had before that as as you folks are doing these interviews, she's feeling more drawn to you know think of maybe we could live in Alachua because it feels like family. So I think because, because it's such a big community, even before the COVID hit, we hardly can get to know one another. Yeah. But um, doing, you know, person by person, it probably won't ever be that each person, but, but if we get a sampling, oh, here's some people and, and okay, I, you get to know someone a little bit more. Because right. this is, um, yeah, we're, we're all hankering. What is it? Uh, to love and be loved. That's what life is for. Mm. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much. Uh, and yes, we, we do want to reach as many of our 
congregation members as we can and and showcase every single devotee yes. in New Raman Reti. You know, everyone is special. That'd be awesome. <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> That's our goal. <laughs> it really is. Yeah, cool. Well, <laughs> Good luck. Okie dokie. Hare Krishna. Don't leave us yet, Vegamati Prabhu. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, thank you so much. I, I also just have to add, I, I took a couple of notes. Um, um, something that I'm taking away from this is that, you know, my coming into Krishna consciousness story is also important. Um, you know, we were talking about that, you know, um, sometimes it just, you know, devotees come in, they were, it seems like they were primed from birth and others of us came in, you know, full of all kinds of backstory. And all of us are equally um, welcome and have equal opportunity to really blossom into um, who we really are. And I, and I appreciate so much that you sharing that because it resonated deeply with me. Um, another thing was that life is long and we have so like life is short, but also life is long. We have all of these chapters and these adventures and who can know what's, what's waiting for us. And, and I feel like you really tapped into sort of this, that concept when you mentioned timelessness, the timelessness of Srila Prabhupada, um, that when we're in association with Prabhupada through the practice and through the devotees, we, we have a taste of that timelessness in the sense that we get to serve in so many different ways and around so many different people. Um, and it just keeps sort of getting better. And um, lastly, you know, to focus on the goal positively, no matter if we have those rocks or those stumbles, you know, that you had mentioned we might have. And I think realistically, we all do. Um, as someone who's new in Krishna consciousness, relatively speaking, that is really, really important to hear and to focus on the good in other people and to constantly pull that out of each other. Um, because what more do we want than to be seen as, um, to not be seen for the spots that we have, but for the oh. moon, you know? Um, totally. So thank you for, for seeing us. <laughs> thank you. Um, so with that, if it's okay, I'll um, introduce our next episode. Sounds okay, good. Cool. Just, just real quick, I, I, I just want to read two of the comments because I, I do want to oh, acknowledge, yes, I yes. acknowledge uh, you know, everybody that's uh, out there in the internet world and who's listening. Thank you so much for being here and for your comments. Uh, Acharya Prabhu mentioned earlier that uh, Gopi Paranadana Prabhu told him that if you have one qualified son, you don't need to have any more children. So. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Adi Gopi, says please let me love you please let me serve you oh jay <laughs> oh i love it and there's other lovely comments that uh, you're welcome to check out afterwards so thank you again everybody. thank you thank you vega prabhu in an effort to um continue interviewing more and more devotees we're doing pre-recorded interviews and we are going to be uh posting them the halfway point of each month. So coming up on Wednesday, June 16th, Namamrita is going to have an interview with Makunda Michael DeVille, who is a Hollywood director, as well as a uh, devotee who joined, who joined ISKCON um, 
I'm not sure how long ago. Uh, but um, he's living in Alachua with his family and his children. And um, I'm sure it's going to be a very exciting interview. So tune in. Stay tuned for that. That'll be number 10. Lucky number 10. We made it to two hands. Haribo. Complete. Two hands complete. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thank you so much, everyone. Thank you. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna Vegavati Prabhu. Hare Krishna. 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 Hare